are in an unplanned series that skipped a week last week for Heritage Sunday. And by the way, if you missed it, Old Tradition and Sue Woodruff did a wonderful job. Go back and watch it. It was wonderful. But we're going to continue on today. I'm going to preach you a message uh, still in this series about true worship that I've just simply titled, When Praise Doesn't Make Any Sense. When praise doesn't make any sense. Pray with me and for me. Father, thank you so much for your presence that we have felt here today in such a mighty way. I thank you, Lord, in advance for the miracles that I believe have taken place already in this altar service, in this worship service today. We give you praise for those. Lord, we receive those in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for moving as you already have. I pray for the next few moments you would remove every distraction that would hinder us from hearing uh, what you would speak to us today. I pray you would anoint these lips of clay that I would not speak my words or even with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that your word would come forth today and it would come forth in the demonstration and the power of your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you would speak to us today. And Lord, I pray more than anything, we would leave this place today with a new revelation of what can happen in our lives when we become true worshipers and we praise you even when praise doesn't make any sense. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you do in and through your word in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. If you'll pray hard and participate, this may not last as long as you think it will. Amen. If you don't pray hard and you don't participate, we'll be here a while. Uh, for the last several weeks, we've been in, as I said, an unintentional series. I preached one message on true worship, and it just started from there. And the Lord just began speaking things and dealing things with me. But we've been intentionally talking about what worship truly, what true worship really is. Let me remind you that we've established that worship is not a plan or a performance. Say amen, somebody. Worship is not merely the amount of time that we spend singing uh, in church. Worship is a heartfelt response by all believers to an awesome, wonderful God. Can I get a witness this morning? <laughs> Worship is also vitally important. Uh, as a matter of fact, whether you have really worshipped yet or not, I hope you have in a service like this, but worship is the sole purpose for which we came here today. This is a worship service, so it's my prayer that we would never waste our time getting here to miss the opportunity to do the one thing that we came here to do. And here's a few things we've talked about so far, and we'll jump back into our text today. But let me remind you that true worship is not dependent on the atmosphere. True worship changes the atmosphere. True worship is not about my worth. Somebody say, thank God. True worship is about His worth. True worship is giving our all to God and holding nothing back. True worship cannot be silenced by our circumstances. Our worship, here's another good one, our worship does not offset our sin. True worship will involve separation from sin. We may, you, does that mean, Pastor, I won't never mess up again? No. But that means when you make a mistake, you repent. You get forgiveness and you start back again. That's true worship. My worship doesn't have to look and sound like your worship. Some of y'all are glad that your worship don't have to look and sound like my worship. And true worship, as Kayla's already mentioned this morning, will drown out the voice of discouragement in your life. But in our main text today, we find the prophet Habakkuk in a situation. Has anybody ever been in a situation? 
where you're just like, somebody asks and you're just like, well, it's a situation. And I want to tell you, if you've never been where Habakkuk was, if you'll just live long enough, you'll eventually find yourself there. Can I get a witness this morning? See, the truth is that life comes with problems built in, right? That's just the way that it works. So you might as well understand that you're not going to get through this life without trouble, without hardships, without pain, without getting your heart broke at least once or twice. You're not going to get through this life without being lied on, without being cheated. Boy, this is exciting stuff, isn't it? Without being talked about or despised. And then you throw some betrayal and deception in there. Does anybody know what? First of all, to establish what betrayal is, does anybody even remember what loyalty is anymore? People aren't loyal to anything. They aren't loyal to a business. See, I was growing up, the mom and pop businesses didn't have to worry about shutting down because mama was loyal to them. How many knows what I'm talking about? Well, nobody wants to be loyal anymore to a church. Come on, somebody. To a job. And anymore, people don't even want to be loyal to their spouse. People don't want to be loyal in business relationships. They'd rather do something foolish and get involved in business with somebody that's not right with God than to do business with somebody that is right with God. Somebody help me preach this morning. Then they wonder why it's not blessed. You throw some betrayal and deception into this mix, and you know what that's called? Life. That's what it's called. It's called life. All you have to do is read this book, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. This book is filled with count after account after account of person after person who lived right, who worshipped God, who served God, but yet they went through trouble. David was a great man of God. He was a great king of Israel. He was also a great worshiper. That's why I love to look at David. But that did not exempt David from pain. Let me also throw in there, that did not exempt David from sin. If you've read much about David's life, David had to back up and punt a few times and get it right with God. But it did not exempt him from pain. If you study David's life, you will see a man whose life endured much pain. Then you can look at Job. Job was a righteous man, the Bible said. But he endured more grief and more pain than you and I can even imagine more than what it seems like even humanly possible. And I could keep going on and on with example after example in the Bible, but I believe the point is clear. Sometimes life hurts. Sometimes you're in the pit. Sometimes you're in the fire. Sometimes you're on the mountain and you're calling fire down from heaven. You know, that's when you feel like you could go through hell with a water pistol. But then sometimes... You find yourself in the cave hoping Jezebel doesn't find you. And there are some things that happen to all of us just simply because we are living in this world. This Bible tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust. But then there are other things, certain things that you need to learn to recognize that are demonic in nature. They are attacks straight out of the pits of hell. 
1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, the word encourages us to be sober and to be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, did anybody know you had an adversary this morning? Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The word didn't say he wanted to just bite you. It said he wanted to devour you. Then John chapter 10 and verse 10 tells us a little bit more about this enemy. It says, this thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Is anybody glad this morning? And I said all of that to say this. There will be times in your life when praise just doesn't make any sense. When we talk about making sense of something, we mean that it is understandable. It is agreeable to what is before us, and it is logical or reasonable. But this man of God, Habakkuk, was doing something that just didn't make any sense. He was standing in the midst of chaos, in the midst of loss, in the midst of emptiness, in the midst of confusion and disappointment, but yet he did something that sent shockwaves through hell and applause through heaven. He said, yet, in spite of all of this, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. That was a choice that he made. Basically what he said was, I have decided. I have made my mind up, boys. Anybody ever made your mind up? I'm going to praise my God even when it doesn't make any sense. Maybe I'm going through a season of sickness. Or maybe I'm grieving over the loss of a loved one. Or maybe I may be walking through the fire of divorce or family turmoil. We had one get special prayer for a family this morning. I may be crying myself to sleep at night over my prodigal children. Maybe my finances have hit rock bottom. Maybe my company is downsizing and they might have to end up letting me go. Well, man of God and woman of God, what are you going to do? I love how many times this thing is so personal. See, it's good to get together like this, but I can't make your decisions for you. You can't make my decisions for me. But what are you going to do when you find yourself in the midst of chaos and trouble? I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to let my feelings and my emotions take over. I'm not going to go into some deep, dark depression. I'm not going to run to the refrigerator and try to drown my sorrow in food. I used to do that. I'm not going to overdose on my prescription medication. I'm not going to get angry at God and accuse Him of not loving me and not caring about me. Then what are you going to do, Pastor? I'm going to do as long as as my mind will let me, as long as I'm in my right mind, I'm going to do what David did. I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. 
I'm not going to focus on my situation. I'm going to focus on him and how holy he is that they just sung about this morning. And then I'm going to do what I was created to do. What was that, Pastor? I'm going to get my praise on. Somebody help me preach this morning. I'm going to be a true worshiper. I'm going to exchange the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Who wouldn't make that trade? I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to bless the name of God. I'm going to give him the praise that is due his name. The psalmist said in Psalm 103 and 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all, say all, everything that is within me, bless his holy name. I came to tell somebody this morning, God never promised us a problem-free life. I love what Kayla said, and she, she got that together for the call to worship without even knowing what my message was. But she said, nobody promised you it was going to be butterflies, rainbows, and unicorns. God never promised us a problem-free life. But let me tell you what he did promise us. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 2. He promised us when you, that's personal, pass through the waters, I, that's God, will be with you. Is anybody glad this morning? And through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk, not if you walk, but when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Psalms 34 and 19. Didn't say a few said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I'm going to stop right there and tell you this morning, many times, instead of the church being filled with true worshipers, that's what we're talking about, many times it's filled with pretty praisers. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? People that will praise God when everything is pretty. When the weather is nice. By the time y'all got up this morning, the rain had stopped. But by the time the 845 crowd got up for church, it was raining. And I gave kudos to them for being here. People that will praise God when all the bills are paid. People that will praise God when they feel good in body. People that will praise God as long as there's money in the bank. People that will praise God when all the children are saved. Yeah, they're quick to give God that nice, pretty praise. Oh, thank you. You know, the people that, that sometimes you ask them how they're doing and they say, Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. And that's when, as Sue Woodruff puts it, SOS gets on you. Spirit of slap. They're quick to give God a pretty praise. See, their faces never get scrunched up. You ever been focused on, ever, have you ever really realized what your face feels like sometimes when you're trying to get in the presence of God? Or when you're praying with fervency? You know, their faces never get scrunched up. Their makeup never runs. They don't cry. Too dignified to cry. Never get their clothes messed up or out of sorts. Never get their wigs twisted. Come on, somebody. They wouldn't jump or run or shout or dance if the building was on fire. Pretty praisers. You know, I almost did something really mean a few weeks ago. Do y'all remember when there was 12 men trying to get the door open over here? 
How many was here that day? Well, if you wasn't up close to the front, you may not have realized it, but something smelled like it was on fire. Anybody smell that? Yeah, if you were up front, you smelled it. And while I was over here trying to get the door open, I was praying they'd finally get the door open. I was also praying they'd find whatever. You know, we never found it. I guess it was the fire of the Holy Ghost. Somebody help me preach. We never found it. We've been all under this stage. We've checked everything. They've checked everything back there. Never found it. They did finally get the door open. But you know, I had this, I'm just human. I just had this carnal thought, Lonnie, while they were trying to get that door open. I thought, I wonder if some of these people that never move, I wonder what they'd do if I said, they're trying to find the fire. I'm sure some people would jump up and take off, but I didn't do that. Actually, true story, though, one time we were at the beach, and my wife didn't know it was illegal to yell shark. She thought it was real funny. I just tried to get to the room before we got arrested. Because the people took off. She said, shark! Everybody took off out of the water. So I didn't do the fire thing to you. But I'm going to tell you something this morning. I know that's funny. But God would rather have your ugly praise than your pretty praise. What do you mean, Pastor? See, it doesn't take any confidence. It doesn't take much faith in God. And it doesn't take any effort to praise God when everything is going great in your life. Oh, yes, we should definitely praise Him during those times. But what really gets the attention of heaven and paralyzes hell is that ugly praise. You may know what I'm talking about. When you praise and choose to praise, when it doesn't even make any sense. That praise that comes out of the depths of your soul, when it seems like everything that could go wrong is going wrong in your life. That praise when your face is all scrunched up. That praise that's hard to tell if it's a praise or a moan, that praise that runs down your face, ladies, and messes up your makeup, that praise that you had to reach way down deep for and get a hold of, that praise that is sometimes aggressive. When you make a choice and you say, I will praise God anyway, sometimes, sometimes it's ugly and there ain't nothing pretty about it. The dictionary defines ugly as very unattractive. That's a no-brainer. Unpleasant to look at, offensive to the sense of beauty, displeasing in appearance, messy, objectionable, or repulsive. See, I've learned what one of the problems is in the church world today. Here it is. Pretty praisers get uncomfortable around ugly praise. (laughs) Because, see... Ugly praisers aren't worried about who's sitting in front of them, who's sitting behind them, or who's sitting beside them. Ugly praisers aren't worried about winning a beauty contest and trying to look all dignified. Some of y'all say, oh, there ain't no sense in doing all that. I mean, I've had people tell me, I'm, I'm working with people that's trying to, they love it here. They keep getting drawn back here, but they just don't understand us sometimes. Listen, that's okay. I tell them to stick with it. But they, sometimes they think, I just don't really think it's all necessary. Listen, ugly praisers aren't worried about trying to win a beauty contest. And furthermore, they're not really worried about what you may think is necessary. They're just trying to hold on to their sanity. Are you with me? They're just trying to find a praise in the midst of the trouble. Uh, then pretty praisers have a problem with ugly praise. Because more than likely, 
Sometimes ugly praise will get loud. But I came to tell some of you this morning, you do good if you quit worrying about trying to pretty it up and you just made a decision to give it up and give God some praise. I'm going to tell you personally, I've been in some ugly situations in my life. And I have to tell you the truth. There wasn't a pretty praise anywhere around me. When I was in a hospital room and every day, everybody that looked at me told me I had cancer. There wasn't a pretty praise anywhere around me. I lost all dignity that there was. I didn't care what denomination anybody was. I got in the MRI machine and I talked in tongues and said, I do not have cancer in the name of Jesus. They took me down for a scope. And you know what they said? This is kind of funny. People that don't understand. The lady said when I woke up from the, you know, if you have a a colonoscopy. Anybody ever have one of those fun things? You know, they give you this drug that makes you have amnesia. But you don't go, did you know that? That's what they do. You don't go completely out, but you forget everything that went on. And when I came to, I asked the lady, I said, did I say anything crazy? She said, no, you just talked in a language we couldn't understand the whole time we was doing the test. You know why? Before they put the mask over my face, I said, they're not going to find cancer in the name of Jesus. And I began to pray in the Spirit. Sometimes you can't worry about your dignity. Sometimes you can't worry about what other people may think. You just need to get a hold of God and turn loose of your praise. God loves your ugly praise. I want to introduce you to a couple of ugly praisers this morning, and I'll open this altar back up. First of all, there was Job. Job chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible said, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. I'm not going to read the whole passage of Scripture, but if you read verses 13 through 22, in 10 verses, Job lost everything. The Bible said the Sabians took his oxen and his donkeys and they killed all of his servants but one. And before they could finish giving him that news, another messenger walked in and said the fire fell from the sky and burned up his sheep. All of his sheep and all of the servants were also killed except one. And before he could finish getting that message, another messenger walked in and said the Chaldeans have taken your camels. They've slew all of your servants, everybody except one. And before they could finish giving him that message, they another messenger walked in and said, Now all of your sons and daughters were at their oldest brother's house, and a great wind smote the house, and all of your children were killed. Some of you know what it's like to lose a child. I can't imagine what it's like to lose a child, but can you even begin to imagine what it would be like to be told you lost all your children at one time? And all of this happened to Job in a matter of 10 verses. Can I tell you this morning that just like that, your life can be turned upside down. And that's another reason why if you woke up this morning in your right mind and in a healthy body, if you woke up this morning with healthy little children 
or half-grown children or grown children running around your house. And if you woke up this morning in a house with a roof over your head and you had clothes to put on, shoes to put on your feet, and if you were able to get in a vehicle and drive yourself here, if you were able to have some breakfast if you wanted some before you left the house this morning, God forbid that we walk into the house of God and not say, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, and worship him. And praise Him. Because tomorrow it may not be that way. And I'll tell you, you'll know how to praise. If you've praised Him through the good, you'll know how to praise Him through the bad. So what did Job do in that matter of ten verses? The Bible said he gave God some ugly praise. It was ugly. Let me describe it to you. The Bible said that he arose... Rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down on the ground. You know what it said next? And worshipped. Hmm. Think about that for a minute. He worshipped. See, when you can go through what Job went through, and you can still worship and praise God through it all, then you have achieved consistency with a total trust and confidence in God. See, there's a lot of talk today, especially amongst Pentecostals, about emotionalism. And they want to say that a radical praiser is just emotional. But I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again this morning. I want to tell you, the person that comes in with a radical praise week after week after week after week, they're not emotional. They're consistent. Somebody help me preach. But the person, wait a minute, you may not want to clap on this. You might want to hold your applause. The person that shouts this week because they felt it. Come on, somebody. But you don't see them move a muscle or utter a sound in worship through the next two services. That is emotionalism. I want us to look at another ugly praiser in the scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. The word said, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had all been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept, listen at this, until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, uh, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But... David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The King James Version said, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What is this, Pastor? This is where David gave God an ugly praise. Somebody help me preach. They had been weeping and they had been crying, the Bible said, until they couldn't weep anymore. No doubt David was physically exhausted. He didn't look like
like this great warrior or even a great worshiper. His eyes were most likely swollen and bloodshot. He didn't look pretty, but the next thing he did was gave God an ugly praise. And you know what happened? God turned everything around. Right there in the middle of his pain, when he gave God a praise that didn't make any sense, God gave David a supernatural turnaround, and he recovered every single thing the devil had stolen from him. Maybe, just maybe, what we need is an ugly praise anointing in this house. Somebody in this house this morning, and I'm almost finished, could just be one ugly praise away from a miracle. One ugly praise away from a supernatural turnaround or a breakthrough. Maybe just one ugly praise away from your prodigal children coming home to the house of God. Maybe just one ugly praise away from turning all that lack into abundance. Maybe just one ugly praise away from that physical healing in your body that's been a long time coming. Let me introduce you this morning to two more ugly praisers, and I'm going to wrap this up. You've heard about them before. I put them in my notes, and then I started to take them out because I was like, I've done talked about that in this series, but I'm actually going to talk about a different aspect of the same two people. I'm not going to talk about all the other details, but Paul and Silas, you know the story. We find them in Acts chapter 16. Here's what I want you to get about this that I didn't talk about the last time. They were busy working for the Lord. That's what they were doing. When this certain young lady who was possessed, the Bible said, with a spirit of divination, began to follow them around, and here's what she said. She said, these men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Hmm. The Bible said she had a spirit of divination. But what she was saying was acceptable to the church. Is anybody with me? The church world today is full of people with the wrong spirit that are saying the right thing. Mm -hmm. And if you're not careful, see here's what I know about the spirit of God. What's the Bible say it'll do? Bear witness. It'll flow breast to breast. A lot of people in the church world today saying the right thing, but they've got the wrong spirit. The Bible said here, this she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit. Paul was grieved. He was like, mm, something just don't set right with me about this. She's saying the right thing. Is anybody with me this morning? Do you know where I'm going? They're saying the right thing, but mm, something just doesn't set right with it. They might be singing the right music, young people, but the way they're living their life, somebody help me preach this morning, just doesn't set right with me. They've got, they're saying the right thing, but they've got the wrong spirit. Here's what Paul did. He turned around and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. But when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, that's why they caught Paul and Silas and began to accuse them of being troublemakers. I'm learning. That's why I get accused of it. You tell the truth. You preach the truth. People say you're a troublemaker. People say you're a hater. People say you're a bigot. People say all these things because you stand for truth. 
And that's exactly what they said about Paul and Silas. And so the Bible said that they accused them of teaching customs which were not lawful to receive or observe. And the multitude of the people rose up together against them. And the magistrates went to them. They tore off their clothes. They beat them, the Bible said. They laid many stripes upon them. And then they thrust them into the inner prison and they fastened their feet in stocks. But then we see our two ugly praisers sitting there in the darkness at midnight, humiliated, backs beaten black and blue, their clothes ripped off of their bodies. And the Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, watch this, and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. They gave God an ugly praise. They gave God some praise when praise didn't make any sense. Right there in the midst of the darkness and the pain when most of us would have been crying, moaning, groaning, complaining, and deciding whether the ministry was even worth it or not. Somebody help me preach this morning. Paul and Silas, right there in the middle of that situation, they gave God an ugly praise through the humiliation, through the tears, through the fears and the pain, beaten black and blue. Listen, they may not have even passed the qualifications to be on the church worship team. I don't know how good or how pretty their singing sounded, but there was something about that ugly praise that God liked. How do I know God liked it? Acts chapter 16 and verse 26 said suddenly, say suddenly, Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. If you read the story, the jailer and his whole family were born into the kingdom of God that night. Because two men were not ashamed to praise God when praise didn't make any sense. <laughs> Can I tell you this morning, did you notice that it said all of their chains were loosed. It might be more than just your chains breaking that God will do through your praise. You might have something in your praise that will call, oh, I feel the Lord saying this this morning. If you just give it up and release it, you might have something in your praise that will cause the chains to fall off of not just you, but of those around you. I would to God that we'd see a day when we come in the church, there's so much praise and worship going on. Every chain starts falling at the door. Every bondage starts breaking. Every addiction is delivered. But it'll take people who choose to praise, even when praise doesn't make any sense. And lastly this morning, I'm going to talk about one we've already met in Scripture, but let's look at him one more time. I love David. This time I want to look at him bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And David begins to be overwhelmed with thanksgiving while he's doing this. And the Bible says he starts to dance and rejoice. He starts to whirl around. And the Bible says that he danced right out of his kingly apparel. He danced his outer garment right off. And then let's look what happens when ugly praise shows up. Second Samuel chapter 6 and verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and she said sarcastically, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids and the servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David could have said, You know what? You're right, honey. That was a shameful thing for me to do. Certainly was no way for a king to act. I should have composed myself. I should have behaved myself better. I'm sorry that I embarrassed you. David could have said that. 
but he didn't. Verse 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. In other words, it was between me and God. And the God who chose me instead of your father, God chose me and all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more, I love this, I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you've spoken by them, I will be held in honor. David said, you might have thought that was undignified. Just like they sang last week, when I reach those pearly gates and the gates swing open wide, I'm going to leap for joy because I've reached the other side. All my pain and sorrow up there I will forget. David said, if you think I shout down here, you ain't seen nothing yet. Woo, hallelujah. That's what David said. I'll get even more undignified than this. David said, I wasn't dancing for you. I wasn't dancing for the servants of the handmaidens. But I was dancing for the Lord who chose me and made me king. Listen, let me put it to you like this. Dennis, I love you. But I didn't come here for you today. Are you with me? I wonder what kind of service we'd have if we all got this mindset. Dwight, I love you, brother. But I didn't come here for you today. Hunter, I love you. William, I love you, but I didn't come here for you today. George, I love you. Lonnie, I love you, but I didn't come here for you today. My worship is not to you. My worship is not about you. My worship is not for you. My worship is for God and God alone. And he's worthy. He's worthy. David said, if you thought that praise was over the top and it was offensive and distasteful to you, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to tell you the truth this morning. I don't really understand it all. I know that's a shock to some of you. I don't. I don't really understand sometimes how it all works, but I know that it's true. There's something powerful in an ugly praise. There's something powerful about praising God when it doesn't make any sense to be joyful and to worship and to praise God. But God responded to Paul and Silas' ugly praise. It shook the whole jail off of its foundation. God responded to Job's ugly praise and gave him back double everything that he lost. God responded to David's ugly praise and he recovered everything the enemy had stolen. The enemy didn't come out one iota on top. David got everything back. And then, another one I didn't even read about and don't have time. But after three days and three nights in the whale motel... Jonah gave God an ugly praise. If you don't think that one was ugly, sitting in a whale's belly, covered in seaweed and whale stomach acid. Here's what Jonah said. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. You can go ahead and come to the music. Jonah, in that situation, here we are again, making the choice. Jonah said, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. 
I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Watch this, verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. What I'm saying to you this morning is, what part of while you worship, he wars, do you not understand? Jonah was in the middle of a bad situation that didn't look like it could get any better. But while he was worshiping, God began to put a little rumbly in that whale's tumbly. And he began to get a little bit sick. And he vomited Jonah out onto dry land. I'm telling you this morning, when that ugly praise filled the belly of that whale, that whale got sick and it spit Jonah out. He didn't come out pretty. Did you hear me? He didn't come out pretty. He came out pretty ugly. But the main thing is, thanks be to God, he came out. I just believe this morning that if some of you would give God praise when it doesn't make any sense, I really believe that something would happen. I do. I believe that something would shift and something would break. An ugly praise is guaranteed to make your enemy sick. And I love more than anything to make the devil sicker than a dog with the praise that he hears coming out of this mouth. Something might shake your foundation rattle your chains loose somebody in the house this morning might get back double everything you've already lost if you can just muster up your ugly praise somebody might just find that you would recover everything the enemy has stolen see church it's time that we stop waiting for a perfect world or an ideal situation or a preferred outcome before we give God praise that we stop waiting for that and that we learn to praise Him when praise doesn't make any sense that is true worship time we learn to give God an ugly praise because when we praise him in what just seems to be an inopportune time that could just be when we experience the breakthrough that we need in our lives stand with me all over the room this morning or this afternoon now a few minutes ago there were many of you that indicated you had something that you needed God to move in in your life but with every head bowed and every eye closed Before we open this altar back up this morning, you may be sitting there and you may say, Pastor, I'm here. I hear the message I've experienced today. But if you were to, I want to ask you, if you were to go out into eternity today, if you are not 100% certain that you would make heaven your home, if you went out into eternity today with nobody looking around, would you please just slip your hand up very quickly and put it back down? Anybody in the room? Yes, I saw that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else in the room today? I'm not positive. Don't be ashamed to just let me know. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you from here. 
Pastor, I'm not positive if I went out into eternity today that I would make heaven my home. I don't know for sure. Anybody else in the house? I only saw one hand. So I pray the one that raised their hand this morning, don't leave this place without Jesus. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Can I get a witness in this house this morning? So when this altar's open, you come. You just admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that He died on the cross for the remission of your sins, that He was buried, that He rose again on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave. You ask Him to wash you in His blood that He shed on that cross and forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life. And then the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God is Jesus and that He's raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's what the Word says. It's that easy. We make it too difficult many times. It's that easy. I thank God for the people that we've seen saved and rededicated in this church this year. It's been amazing. So the one that raised their hand, don't leave here today without making that decision. But I want the rest of you to look at me. One more opportunity today. I gave you two weeks ago nine different demonstrations of praise and worship. You've got one more opportunity today to say, God, in spite of my circumstance, in spite of my situation, in spite of what I see and what I feel, I'm going to come give you a praise, even when it doesn't make any sense.